So, how many people were here last week? Not a lot. Well, okay. Well, guess what? I'm doing a part two. But the good news is, is that I'm going to do a minor review, and I think this will stand alone as a message. So, the Lord, I think, is highlighting something to me, and I really believe the Lord's highlighting something to the church at large. And the fact that he's highlighting what I'm talking about is a, in some way, it's a very sobering time that we're in. In, in every way, it's a very sobering time. And no matter how you look at the, the time that we live, the days that we live in, it's a very sobering time to be alive. And if you don't realize that, that is a first symptom or sign that you are not awake. If you think life is as normal right now, you're not awake. Life is not normal. But hey, we got good news. Jesus said that when we see all these things happening, to stand up, look up, rejoice, for your redemption draweth near. So just a quick review. I want to ask you guys a question. All right, so imagine, everybody imagine this for a minute. Right now, in the next five minutes, Jesus is going to return. What would that do to you? What are your thoughts? In the next five minutes, Jesus is coming back. Just think to yourself a minute. What happens inside your heart if you think that? What's going on? Think about it. Jesus is coming back in the next five minutes. What are your immediate thoughts? Y'all just think about it a minute because how you feel at that thought tells you a lot. There's different feelings that you could have, but how you feel tells you a lot. Does it excite you? Does it scare you? Does it cause you, as the Bible talks about, shrink back to where you're like, kind of back it away from it? Or does it cause you with anticipation to run towards it? You know, what's going on? What should our response be? Turn over, if you would like, to uh, Revelations 22, 17. This is, um, this is review, but... I'll do a quick one. Revelations twenty two seventeen. we have a picture of, and really a telltale sign of what we're looking for when we talk about the day of the Lord and when he's returning. It shows us something there that's very important. It shows us the attitude of the bride, which is the church. The church is the Lord's body. It's ref- referenced in a metaphor as the bride of Christ. And in that way, the bride in this passage, it gives us insight to what her heart is. And it says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17, uh, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come. Now that word for, br- for bride right there, it's the same word as wife in the Greek. So Jesus's wife, if you would, that's us. It's us. It's the body of Christ. And we see that this is the very last chapter of Revelations 22. This is the part of the scripture where the new Jerusalem has come down from above and the Lord is describing the age to come and all the amazing things that are starting to begin to take place. And he talks about this bride who has aligned herself with the very spirit of God who's saying, come. Do you know the spirit is saying, come? But what the Spirit, the Spirit of God desires for Jesus' return. And when the church gets in line with the Spirit of God, the bride, the church, begins to say, come. 
And scripture says to set our mind on things above, not on things below. We're supposed to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is where we're, this life should be affected by our attention being on that. And because our attention is here and we're seated here, then we can now move and live differently here in such a way that changes here. If we don't get this focus right, this will be wrong. Y'all understand? If this isn't right, this will be wrong. You get this right, the attention upward, then this gets fixed and gets right. So the spirit and the bride, they say come. The, the, the bride had aligned herself with the spirit of God. Last week we talked about the word alert, alertness, sober, somber. These are all words that are mentioned throughout the scriptures, but when especially the New Testament is heavy with the word alert, stay alert, stay sober, stay awake. And every time you see those types of words, they're almost overwhelmingly, they're connected in the same passage with prayer and the need to be a, in prayer and alert, okay? I'm gonna give you one of those that we read last week. This is Luke 21, 34, 35, and 36. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. I'm gonna read it right here. It says, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. We were talking about being ready last week. Being ready. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. You know, in the scriptures, this is a little side note. You know, the scripture talks about in Revelation 12, it's talking about that rejoice, you heavens, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Okay? There's people dwelling in heaven, but woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has been thrown down with great wrath, knowing that his time is short. He references, and if you look in that passage, Revelation 12, there's a reference to those who are earth dwellers and heaven dwellers. I do not think at all that that is referencing people who are dead and are now in heaven with the Lord. I do not. I think this is referencing believers on the earth who are heavenly minded, who are living from another place, who are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, we're with him right now. You know that? Your body may be here, but your spirit is joined with him. If you're a born again Christian, you've been born again by the spirit of God. If you haven't, then this won't make sense and this ain't true for you. But if you've been born again, You've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You've asked him to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, and you've given him lordship in your life, Then the Spirit of God has come inside your spirit. You are born brand new, and now your spirit is one with him. Your flesh hitting, your mind, soul, and emotions, your soul, you know, it's not, it's still trying, we're getting it lined up, but our spirit is with him right now. We're in oneness, we're in unity, in the spirit. And so the passage of scripture in Revelation 12, is, in, in my opinion, is referencing a group of believers who are focused here, heavenly focused. They're dwelling in heaven. But we're, and we can rejoice if we're living for that because where your treasure is, that where your heart will be also because our treasure is there. We don't get rocked like those who dwell on the earth who this is all they got. If this is all you got, woe to you, for the devil has been thrown down to you with great wrath, knowing that his time is short. 
if this is all you got, you're in woe. If you're living for this, I'm just a news break for you guys. This life ain't all that. There's loss. I mean, I can look around this room and knowing you guys, I know the loss that many of you have experienced. And if you live long enough, you're going to go through some major loss. It's just going to happen. And that's why the Bible says that for those who are looking up and we're, you know, those who are in the heavenlies, they can rejoice. But those who are earthly, earthly minded, this is what you're living for. All you think about are the glories that can, you can find in this life where people are searching for fame and you know, whatever, whatever satisfies them, whatever they think is going to give them the joy that they're looking for, sex, drugs, alcohol, um, even work success. I mean, they can even be good things, but when they become earthly things that become your main priority, it's dead end. It's not going to satisfy you ultimately. And the sad part is, is some of them, you, you engage yourself with them so long, it takes 20, 30 years, and you wake up one day, and you're like, what in the world did I just do with my life? But there's hope. There's incredible hope. This morning, you know, y'all know I've, I say this over and over again, and, but there's a reason because I, I want you guys to understand that I'm, I'm not just preaching. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually sharing really... Anytime I teach, I want to make sure it's prophetic in the sense that it's what God is speaking right now. That's my goal. I hope to always hit it. And since I've been pastoring this church, I've been amazed at how the Lord has directed me to the point that I look back and I, I you know, it's not me. There's no way I could come up with some of the stuff the Lord's been, been speaking. And that's the way all of us are meant to be. Because we're born of the Spirit. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because in that moment, it will be given you what you say. There's words that come from the Holy Spirit that we could never come up with. And it's not us. It really is him. He uses donkeys. He spoke through donkeys. And he still does. (laughs) I'm living proof. Um, But my point in saying that is that I believe this is a prophetic word. It is a teaching, but it's a prophetic word. It's a redirection of our attention. But I woke up this morning. I wasn't even awake. I was waking up, slowly becoming conscious. And all of a sudden, I see, before my eyes have even opened, I see this bride. And she's twirling around and looking in a mirror because she had just made herself ready. And she was, the joy on her face was amazing, and she, she was looking in the mirror, twirling, because she had, she, she had prepared herself, and she was ready for her bridegroom to come, and I, in an instant, I saw it, it jolted me out of my sleep, and I knew the Lord wanted me to do a part two, so let's look at that, Revelations 19, now this is, we've moved past review now, we're, we're getting into today's message. Revelations 19, uh, 7 through 9. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride or wife has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. 
And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. These are the true words of God. If we needed that reminder, he gave it to us. These, so these are God's words. So what is he saying here? The bride has made herself ready. Just think about that, man. The bride has done it. Jesus says, it didn't say Jesus did it. It said the bride. Now it does say that it was given to her. You didn't earn them. It was given to you, the clean linen. You know, linen in the Old Testament, the priests were not allowed to minister as priests with anything that made them sweat. Just as a side note, like wool. They had to have a linen ephod, which was the name of the garment that the priests would wear in the Old Covenant under the Levitical law. Because you see in Ezekiel, they weren't allowed to sweat, which was a picture of we don't minister in our own strength by the sweat of our brow. That was the curse. You remember Adam? He was cursed you know, to bring forth food from the sweat of his brow. But in Christ, you know, the Sabbath has been fulfilled because now we enter into his rest. We're no longer working for salvation. It's not based on works. It's based on the free gift. So we are given this linen ephod to wear, which the revelation says, was the was basically I looked this word up it says righteous acts that is you look that word up in the Greek it's righteousness it's doing right being right with God so she was given this and he said blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb that day is coming that day is coming so all right so here's the question how does the bride make herself ready. How do, we, how, do, how do we do this? How do we get ready? That's an important question, I think. If we know this is what the Lord says is going to be the end position of the bride, how do we get there? Well, turn over to second, if you want to, to 2 Corinthians 3.18. In my little vision that woke me up out of my sleep, I saw the bride twirling and she was looking in a mirror. What is that? Anybody? What? Anybody know what that would cue you to? A mirror? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it actually referenced a mirror. So let's look at that. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. So there's a mirror in this passage with the glory of the Lord in it. So we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is such a key verse to understand because we're not changed into his image by working hard, by trying to be better. It's not like that. You're changed, according to this verse, by beholding with an unveiled face the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. It's basically, this is what it is saying. You become what you look at. What do you give your focus to? What do you dwell on? You will become what you dwell on. You ever notice why people who get resentment in their heart, like a lot of times you'll see this with kids that had bad parents or parents that hurt them in some way that weren't perfect because there are none except for the Father in heaven. And they get, they get um, this resentment 
and over something that their parents did to them, and then what ends up happening is they end up becoming just like the parent that they are resented. You ever wonder why that is? It's because they behold, that because of their holding on to this, not letting it go, not forgiving, they hold on to it, and it's on the front of their mind, and that's the image that they're beholding. And so because of that image they're beholding, they're being transformed into that very image. You become what you behold. So the question is, what are we beholding? What are you looking at? And I'm not talking about necessarily physically. What is at the forefront of your heart and mind? What do you dwell on? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All right? So first thing in this verse, he's talking about a veil. Now, we understand from the passage, which we didn't read the whole passage, but if you read the whole passage, we see that Moses, when he came down off the mountain, the glory of God was with where God met him. The glory of God was so heavy on Moses that he had to, had to put a covering over his face because the children of Israel couldn't handle it because the glory of the Lord was reflecting off his face, but it would slowly dim, Okay? And he was saying that the glory in us is greater than that glory that Moses has had because Moses' glory was fading, but ours is one that will never fade because it's in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he says, so the first thing, we got to get the veil removed. And he says that when, well, let's look at it. In verse uh, 16, it says, it talks about how the veil is removed whenever a person's heart turns towards the Lord. So how do we get these veils removed so that we can see this glory with unveiled face? You have to turn your heart to the Lord. That's not just getting, hey, I got saved 10 years ago. We have all kinds of veils that hinder the glory, that cause us to see things wrongly. And that's why the scripture says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But there are veils that we have to, that, that can be removed when we allow our gaze to look on him, then we know that that veil gets removed by looking at him. And as we're looking at him with unveiled face, then we begin to see the glory of the Lord. And in seeing him as he is, there is something that's transforming us. And that's what's happening. And that's why it's so key that we keep our eyes on the Lord. And that's not easy to do. That's not easy. The main thing is always to keep the main thing the main thing, right? But it's very easy to slowly fade to the right or slowly fade to the left. There's a, there's a ditch on either side of the path of life, you know, but trying to stay on that path, which is where the Lord is my number one and I'm fresh in love with him every day, seeking him. So beholding the glory of the Lord is not just a physical thing, though that can happen too. I mean, I know, I know people who have seen the Lord physically. Matter of fact, I don't believe you can be an apostle without seeing the Lord. When Paul gave one of his, I mean, physically, the resurrected Christ, because when Paul gave one of his defense of that, one of his defense of his apostleship was he said, have I not seen the Lord? Every one of the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. You cannot be a true apostolic witness of the resurrection without having physically seen the Lord. So I believe that to be an apostolic person in this day, there is a, it's my opinion, 
and that's all it is, is opinion, but I believe that you have to physically see the resurrected Lord. And I've known many people that have experienced that. I have seen the Lord. He's come to me in dreams. Haven't seen him physically, though I've been praying for that for 26 years, and I shall continue, because uh, I want that. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it happened in the Bible, God wants it to happen to you, but how bad do you want it? Well, I've been praying for 26 years. I'm not giving up. I want an encounter with Jesus like that. I want an eight-hour sit-down, let's talk. <laughs> you know, I want that. That's been my goal for 26 years, and I'm not giving up on that. So, Lord, you hear me? Uh, um, <laughs> please do. What I believe is important here is not in necessarily physically seeing him, but with the eyes of our heart are you seeing him. That's what you live out of. What do you see with the eyes of your heart? Are you seeing him? Do you see him? When you wake up in the morning, do you see him? Or does your mind get fogged by all the cares of the world and the desires for other things? Do we get slowly back down to earth dwellers when we're supposed to be heaven dwellers? Right? The next thing that's so important in this verse, it says, you know, it talks about that we're being transformed into the same image. So what we're seeing is we see the glory of the Lord. We're transformed just as from the Lord. And then it says the spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to live the life that we're called to live without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You will be in lack if you do not have the spirit working in your life. You can be born again and be a Christian and go to heaven and still not have the reality of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And I'm telling you, you're living, if you're in that place, you're living a bored life, a bored Christian walk. The Spirit is the most exciting thing we have on this earth. It opens up realms that you can't even comprehend when you begin to allow the Spirit to have its way in your life. Oh, I love the Holy Spirit. I love what he does. I love wake, being woken up to visions. <laughs> I love having encounters. I love it. It's impossible without the Spirit. But you know, one of the things that the Spirit does, we see this in John 15, 26. It says that Jesus talking about the Spirit coming, he says he will testify of Jesus. So one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit does is that he testifies to Jesus. So we're trying to see him, and what does the Holy Spirit do? It constantly brings up in our heart and mind Jesus. It's always bringing up Jesus, 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 Jesus. John 16, 14, you know, Jesus said it a few verses back, and he said, man, I got to say this again. And he talks about in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit will come and lead you into all truth, and he says he will glorify Jesus. So one of the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify the Son in our hearts and in our mind. And when he gets glorified and lifted up in our hearts and mind, we begin to behold him, then we are transformed into that same image. Turn over to 1 John 3. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it goes perfectly in hand with, with 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it's so freeing because... You know, we are naturally, you know, that Adamic nature that's inside all of us, the flesh, we are naturally bent towards working for our salvations, trying to be good enough, trying to not sin, trying, feeling like we got to do all this stuff to be right with God. 
And that's not the heart of God. The, the heart of God is returning our gaze to him. And as we see him, we're being transformed. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And with our fallen nature, we hear that and we filter that through. Ooh, I got to keep all his commandments so I can show him that I love him. But that's not what he said. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What happens is that keeping the commandments is a byproduct of love. When you fall head over heels in love with Jesus, you don't want to hurt him. You don't want to do things that displease him. And when he becomes the highest priority of your heart, he becomes more important than the sin in our life. And it's a, and it's a byproduct of that, wor- of that worship and that relationship of intimacy between him and me, that he is sanctifying me, he is cleaning me up, I can't do it in my own strength. Only thing I can do is to keep, my f- to keep fighting to keep my face on him. And as I see him, I'm being transformed into that glory. And this is what 1 John chapter 3 talks about. Verse 2 and verse 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Y'all hear that? When we see him, we will be like him. I don't think that is just for his return, though I do believe that's an absolute truth as well. The better that you see him with the eyes of your heart, the more you'll be like him. It's an automatic. You know, we spend our time trying to clean ourselves up when the reality is, is what we need to be doing is trying to see him better. If, If we would get to see him, it'll change your life. One glimpse... Oh, God, one glimpse of Jesus Christ, and there's something that just in your DNA gets overwhelmed and changed. One glimpse of him, and our whole structure of who we are begins to shift. It's his glory, and as we behold his glory, we are transformed into that glory. Oh, Lord, help our eyes to open up that we would see you. What's that song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What an amazing truth. What an amazing truth. Oh, Lord, turn our eyes upon you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. So, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Don't don't misunderstand that. It's not you trying to purify yourself. It's that that's a byproduct of seeing him. 
And I'm going to tell you, this verse is a two-edged sword. We need to be seeing him every day. We should get nervous if we don't wake up seeing him the way we should be seeing him. Because we don't want to shift away from that because that is the answer. He is the tree of life. He is the tree of life. We have to eat his fruit every day to live. And when we don't, we fade. But look, he's coming back. And you know, in context, that's what this verse is talking about. The Lord is returning. And he's saying that we don't know yet what we're going to appear like, but when he appears, we're going to look just like him because we're going to see him as he is. And when we see him as he is, and he says everyone that has this hope, that word hope is the same word that also says waiting. It's like you're, it's like you're waiting for your ride to come. You better be ready because you don't want to miss the bus. Because the bus don't wait for you. If you're at the bus stop and you're waiting for the bus and you're not there, they don't wait on you. Whoever's there and is ready gets on the bus. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. And so as we're waiting in hope of his return and we're fixed our eyes on his, Jesus is coming back. And when that is the forefront of our heart and mind, then we're purified as we see the one that is pure. Now, in got one more, a few more things to say. I love Psalms 27.4. You don't have to turn there, but it says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Golly, Lord, I want to live here. I want to live in this place where I am just consumed with who you are. Golly, I want to live here. I, guys, I'm preaching this. I don't live here all the time. I visit there. I want to stop visiting. I just want to go ahead and move there, you know? I want to live in this place where I don't get sidetracked by all the things that come along that just get my eyes off of him. This one thing I have asked of the Lord, this shall I seek, that I may dwell there and to look at his beauty there's a reality. If you don't, guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just letting you know there's an encounter, an experience that you can have in the Spirit of God where you get called up in His glory and His anointing and His presence, and there is nothing like it. And if you haven't gotten that yet, you need to be seeking it with all your heart because there is no treasure greater than the presence of the Lord Jesus. God, seek it. Seek it. Now, you know, that bride that I saw... She was in love. Do y'all remember being in love? <laughs> Lindsay, do you remember being in love? <laughs> I remember that adolescent love. You know what I mean? That, that, that first love. You know, when love was first, it was fresh. It was exciting. You woke up thinking about your your beau or your girl, you go to bed thinking about them. You're always trying to spend time with them. You know, that, that first month is great. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you know, when you're in love, I mean, they make songs about this. You know what I mean? It's it's an amazing experience, and that infatuation that you feel. And, you know, when you're a bride, the way it's supposed to happen, it doesn't always happen this way with everybody, but when you do it right, that anticipation and that um, excitement about being joined together in marriage, it's like, man, I, oh, this is so amazing. You know, it's, it's, well, like I got married young, so I, I, I was experiencing a lot of brand new things. First time living on my, I got an apartment for, I think I had it a month or two before we got married, just preparing. I went and prepared a place to bring my bride. I'm up, yeah, I'll tell you something in a minute. Uh, and there was excitement, you know. There were a lot of firsts that were about to be encountered. I was becoming an adult in a sense. You know, I was 21. She was 19 when we got married. We were young. We had already dated five years. So, um so we, you know, but when that bride, she's, you know, she's checking everything. There's no, she's making sure the, you know how they are. When you go through a wedding, they're, they're fixing the gown. Everything's got to be perfect. The flowers, the hair, the perfume, the makeup, you know, this is, this is love. <laughs> well, guys, it's not, it's the same thing. When you love him, and that anticip- you're preparing yourself for that anticipation for that day when you're going to be betrothed. Now, I want you to turn over to Matthew 25, and I'm going to read a story after that, and, we're, and then we can, we're done. But turn over to Matthew 25. This is, I think, part of this. This is the story of the ten virgins. When you're in love, man, you do crazy things. I want to be crazy in love again. I want to be in love with my bridegroom. Okay, Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamp and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Y'all know what that's like? You get born again, you're excited for Jesus, life keeps going and going and going, and the next thing, some drowsiness begins to come over you, and you're not as awake as you used to be. It happens to us all. I mean, it even happens to all the virgins here. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, give us something of your oil. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Well, there's something about this story that's so intriguing for, well, there's a lot intriguing. The first thing, you can't live off of someone else's oil. You know, that oil that I have in my life is a byproduct of me spending my time with the Lord, reading his word, praying, seeking his face. You can't live off my oil. You can't. You can't live off your parents' oil. You can't live off your mate's oil. You can't live off good preaching oil, although that stuff's important. You have to get your own well. You got to dig your own well. You got to purchase your own oil through prayer and time with the Lord, your intimacy with him. That's your oil. And if you keep your lamp alight, you know, what is the lamp? The Bible says his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we keep the word won't burn without the spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit is what is needed to keep our lamps lit up. And that's that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God. If you don't have one, man, you need to change that because he wants to be in you. He wants to live in you. But we have to be awake and prepared and ready. Be on the alert then. Now let me read this. I read this this morning. I just, by accident, it really wasn't an accident. I knew some of this, but I, I hadn't read it quite like this. But it puts so much of the, the wording that Jesus used, it brings it to uh, amazing uh, insight and understanding. Let me get to it. There it is. All right, this is about the Hebrew wedding customs in Jesus' day. So y- y'all ready? This is going to be good. Buckle up. It's going to open up a lot of stuff to you, the things that Jesus has said. In the Hebraic wedding customs during the time of Christ, typical weddings were divided into three ceremonial sections. The betrothal, and he gives a Hebrew word, ketabah, probably butchering it. The wedding, the chupa, and the feast during the betrothal. The father of the bridegroom would present a bridal contract, a ketubah, which included the bridal gift, which is called a mahar. I'm not going to stop reading those words. Once both sides agreed on the, and it says the, the, the contract, the bridal, gift would be shower, would be, the bridal gift would be showered and the bridegroom would offer his covenant bride a cup of wine. If she drank the cup before everyone, she thereby expressed her will to marry him beyond her parent, parental consent. The bridegroom would usually leave a special gift to help her remember their covenant. This gift helped the bride remember and grow in love with the bridegroom day by day when they were apart. Hmm, what did we get left? Hmm, I'm not going to, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you a helper. The Holy Spirit. To remind us of our bridegroom. Then the bridegroom's party would depart. The bridegroom would spend at least nine months to one year to work on building a house for their future family. What did Jesus say? I'm going to to prepare a place for you. It's kind of like me when I went and got my apartment. I was preparing a place for my bride and me to live our new life together. The bride would start preparing. And so he's building the house 
just like Jesus said he was going away to do, and the bride would start preparing her bridal garments, usually made up of fine linen. Interesting. She had to keep herself chaste and undistracted by other would-be lovers while her bridegroom was laboring to build a house for them since he would come to receive her when he was ready. When the house was ready, he would come. When the bridegroom had finished all preparations, he would usually seek permission from his father to go and receive his bride. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, nor the angels in heaven, neither the son, but only the father. Isn't that interesting? It lines up with this custom. The timing of the coming of the bridegroom to receive his bride whom he had redeemed and paid for with a precious bridal price, was in his father's authority. Before the bridegroom left to receive his bride to himself, he would usually send his friends ahead to blow the trumpet or shofar and shout a warning, the bridegroom is coming. Didn't we just read that? There was a shout at midnight. Isn't he coming back with trumpets? They're trumpeting the return of the Lord. I think there's some trumpets going off right now. And I'm not just talking about me speaking this. I'm talking about the Lord is trumpeting a message to wake up his church. He's coming. He is really coming. We are closer than we have ever been. Jesus is coming. He's coming. And those who are ready are going to go and be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and it's never going to end. You've been there a million years. You haven't scratched the surface because it's forever. And if you're not there, guess what? That's forever too. This is serious stuff. So when the bride heard this trumpet and shout, she would get ready and dress in her bridal garments together with her virgin friends. These virgins would accompany the bride in the bridal procession to the bridegroom's home. They would prepare lamps to light the way, but a typical lamp had an oil compartment that only contained sufficient oil to light the lamp for a couple of hours. If the bridegroom delayed his coming deep into the night, the virgin's lamp would run out of oil. Wise virgins would bring along larger containers with extra oil to last through the long, dark night. Are you full of the oil of the Spirit? Are you full? The bridegroom would usually come between sunset and sunrise. He would come like a thief in the night to snatch away his bride, which was part of the fun and ritual. It mimicked a voluntary kidnapping of the bride since she was already betrothed to her husband and they were technically married. When the bridegroom saw her, he lifted her up and carried her back to the home he had built for them. In that home under the Chupa, they would receive the wedding blessings and consummate their marriage covenant in their, bread, in their bedroom. Often they would drink a cup of wine in their room together. The feast then began in the house of the bridegroom and would often last for seven days or longer. While the family celebrated and feasted, the wedding couple would spend time in intimate communion with each other while occasionally entertaining guests. You know, Jesus used this type of language to reference his coming, and it's important. And I feel like today, basically, you know, especially with what I saw waking me up, that the Lord wants us to be awake right now. It's time to be awake. It's time to be, if, if when you start thinking about the Lord's return and the reality of that, if that doesn't do something for you, 
then you're in really trouble. You need to go say, Lord, help my heart. But if it causes anything other than excitement, you need to say, Lord, help my heart. We need the Lord to help us to where he is on the front focus of our attention and that we love him so much that all we want to do is be with him, that our hearts cry is to be with him. When you fall in love with him, you can't wait to be with him. When he's so real to you, and if he's not, then you haven't seen him like you need to. He wants to give us a vision of who he is, and he, need, he wants to be so real in our heart that there's nothing that can compare to this world around us like him. He is the treasure that's worth selling all our possessions and going and buying the field where the treasure was. He's worth it all. But if you don't see him like that, that means you're asleep. And the Lord wants you to wake up, O sleeper. So I, I pray that this message today is a wake-up call for all of us, including myself, because there, there are times of drowsiness that I go through in life. All of us do. But let us encourage one another as long as it is his day. Well, this is what the scripture says. Let us encourage one another to good deeds. You know, we, we want to encourage each other in our passion for Jesus so that when we get around each other, if one of our flames is, is, is not quite burning as bright as it should be and you get around these other hot people, then all of a sudden you catch on fire again. That's why it's important to be in church. It's important to be connected to the body. If you're not connected to the body, you will not make it as a believer. You will live at best on crumbs when God has prepared a feast for you because we need each other. That's why the scripture says, do not forsake the assembling, the gathering of the brethren. The Amalekites actually, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, all the stragglers that were on the peripheral who were not tied in with the rest of the group, they would come and attack them from behind and they were easy prey because they did not have the protection of the group. It is imperative that we get connected. That doesn't just mean coming to church on Sunday. That's part of it. But it means being joined together with the body of Christ where you fit. Being connected with other believers. There's certain people, all of us should have a, a group of people that we are connected and joined with if you're not, you're not been connected properly to the body. Home groups are one place to do that. Church, there's other ways, other things. But we have to be connected so, so that our flames can keep each other's flames going. We help each other. But Lord, I'm asking right now, Father, for the grace of the Holy Spirit to cause us to burn for you, Lord. Father, we want to see you Lord, we want to see you. Lord, we want to see you. We, Lord, we want, God, Lord, we want you. We want to want you. When we don't want you, Lord, forgive us, but help us. Give us the grace to desire you with the desire you deserve. Give us the grace to love you with the love that you deserve. You died for all of us. You died for our sins. Lord, we're asking for...